morning, Rocky Peak. Crazy to see you and happy Fourth uh, of July weekend as well. We'll be praying for our nation in a few minutes, as we just we often do throughout the year. Um, but uh, I have one quick announcement too. You know, last night we sent um, our team to Tanzania to share the message of Jesus, and it's a, a big. I think it was supposed to be 16. One person got sick right before they left and wasn't able to go. But um, the reason I mentioned that is inside your program, we we printed this card for you, and it's a, it's a prayer card. I'm going to encourage you to uh, put that, uh, take that home, put it in your Bible, uh, wherever you spend time with the Lord on a regular basis, maybe your refrigerator. Um, and, and just remember, so we got the list of all the names behind, a little bit about that mission. But we're excited about this. This is an amazing opportunity that God has opened up for us to share the gospel in uh, these rural kind of Muslim areas where the gospel has never gone before. And so uh, amazing opportunity. We want to be praying for that as well. And so um, as we get ready today uh, to go into our time of teaching, you know, I was just in worship last night and uh, at the front, and I was just, again, sensing this amazing thing that happens when the body of Christ gathers, that, that we are gathered in his name, amen? Um, we are gathered under the authority of his word, amen? Right, and so, so Jesus is here, Jesus is here, and his Holy Spirit is going to be here and so we want to ask him to come today and be our teacher. Amen? Amen. So let's go before him in prayer. So Lord, we, we come today in the name of our King, um, your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for his life and death and resurrection that makes all things new, that provides for us the, the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that, that allows us to come into your presence, receive the gift of your spirit, God himself coming to dwell in us, that we become, like we learned last week, the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you've said that when we gather in your name, that the power of the Lord is there. And so, Lord, we just want to acknowledge your presence here. We want to acknowledge that you're here, that we're here, and we're here to listen to you as our Lord and leader of how to follow you, how to please you in every way. And Lord, we come today as your church, first of all, to stand on behalf of our country. And Father, we know that we are a nation far from you. And we know, Lord, that any judgment you choose to bring out is holy and righteous. But Lord, you've told us and called us to stand in the gap. And so, Lord, we, we pray for our nations. And we thank you so much for the privilege that we have of growing up in a nation with so much freedom and so much blessing. Um, but Lord, we also uh, just want to stand in the gap. Lord, we pray for a spirit of repentance to be poured out in our land. We pray for your churches um, and your leaders throughout this land. God, that you would raise up men and women with kind of mighty prophetic voices Amen. to speak into our culture. Yes. And we pray, Lord, that you would, you would um, kind of unleash your spirit in the unseen realm. Father, we pray against the principalities and the powers of deception that are behind so many movements in our country. We pray that those would be bound in the unseen realm. We pray that the power of your spirit will be released in new ways. And with boldness and courage, your people would speak up for what is right and what is good and what is true. And Father, we pray, that, um, we pray that many would come to Christ, that the heart of this nation would be changed because the hearts of people would be changed. And that, Lord, we would turn back to you as a nation so we could live under your blessing. And Father, we also then pray today as we send out this team to Tanzania, we pray for your protection, we pray for their safety, we pray for their health. But most of all, Lord, we pray for an unleashing of your spirit wherever they go. We pray that as they share the message door to door, as they share the Jesus film in the evenings, Father, we pray you give them great wisdom and spiritual discernment of what you're doing there, what the evil one is doing there, that the powers of darkness would be bound, that many, as your word says, would be turned from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, that eyes would be opened, that conversion would happen, the new birth would happen, that many would come to know you and have courage to stand up for you as, as bright lights in their world. And so, Lord, as we come now before you in your word, we pray that you would speak, you would lead, you would guide. We pray that you would apply this to our lives as only you can do. Lord, we acknowledge that one plants and one waters, but it's you that give the growth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. 
Well, our story starts today in a major cosmopolitan city on the coast of the continent of Asia. And he's just returned back from a major trip, uh, a journey that he took to kind of restore relationship, to smooth over conflict, to reduce tensions. But the reality is this trip has not gone well. And it's been very painful for him personally. And he's been back now for a little while and he's sitting in his living room, kind of thinking back over all that's happened in the last few weeks and wondering what to do next. What's his best option? And for a short while, he's considered returning a second trip, but honestly, logistically, that just doesn't work very well right now. And on top of that, He's concerned that it might just make matters worse, pour more gasoline on the fire, so to speak. And so earlier this week, he made the decision, the best option was to write a letter, a formal letter, to share his heart, to be extremely honest, to be vulnerable, but also to challenge. And it was a very difficult letter to write. But after he sent it, and now it's been several days, He's beginning to have second thoughts about this strategy, and he's beginning to be deeply concerned. And if truth be told, if there was a way to get it back, he would. Now all that he can do is wait to see what that letter will produce. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for the last couple months. It's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who are brand new, and I know every week we have newcomers, uh, a special welcome to you. Um, this is a message or a series that's based on an in-depth study of, I believe, one of the most important letters of the New Testament for our time in which we're living. It, it's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a group of Jesus followers that he'd actually led to Christ, um, and they'd become a church about three years before in the southern tip of Greece in a major strategic Roman city that was called the city of Corinth. And, uh, and so if you've been with us in this series, that we know that last week we wrapped up the third chapter, it's a long letter. Uh, today we're launching into chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and uh, uh, turn on and then turn to 1 Corinthians chapter four. There in your note sheet, you have a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross, Spiritual Leadership. Today, we'll just be looking at the first six verses. Now, before we jump in, I want to set it up. So what we've seen throughout this series is that when Paul and his team first came to Corinth with this radical, countercultural message of a crucified Messiah, that God moved in a very supernatural way. And many people came to Jesus, and then they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, And on top of that, uh, in this particular church, the Holy Spirit really poured out a wide array of very powerful supernatural gifts that we'll talk more when we get to chapter 12 and chapter 14. And as a result of this, as a result of these powerful supernatural experiences, as a result of this new spiritual knowledge they had, they'd really gotten a big head. And as we've seen in this series, they, they tend to see themselves as very spiritual, very much led by the Spirit, very wise, very mature believers. But as we learned at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, actually, that's not the case. Actually, you're very immature. You're, you're not really listening and following the Spirit. You're following your old human nature, your flesh. And one of the most obvious ways to tell is the way they're splitting up and dividing over their new spiritual leaders, kind of the way they used to follow, uh, be fans of their uh, kind of favorite philosophers. And so um, this has led Paul in chapter three and chapter four to address this issue of spiritual leadership. What does it look like to be a leader uh, in the body of Christ? And specifically, how should we look at our leaders? And then when God puts us in a place of leadership, whether Uh, Whether it's in his kingdom, whether it's in our career, whether it's in the community, whether it's in our home, what does it look like to to lead kind of like Jesus and his cross, not lead like the culture? And so with that, we're going to pick it up today, chapter 4 and verse 1. And so Paul says, so this then is how you ought to regard us. 
uh, the us here he's talking, remember back in chapter three, he said that for the, for the sake of this discussion on spiritual leadership, he's gonna use himself and Apollos, who was another very gifted teacher that had come to, to Corinth after Paul. He's gonna use the two of them as sort of a case study on how they should think of leadership in general. So he says, this then is how you ought to regard us, first of all, as servants of Christ. And so that's what we learned a couple weeks ago when I did a message called um, uh, Leadership 101, is that the first thing that Paul said is that we, we need to look at our leaders as servants of Jesus, not celebrities to follow. And so, but here today, he's gonna add something about what it means to be a servant of Jesus. So he said, uh, as servants of Christ, as those who are, what's the next word? Okay, let's, uh, let's I kind of wake up now. Good, I know that was, I kind of caught you off guard. I don't usually ask for any response this early in the reading. Um, I know better, but let's try it again. So, as servants of Christ and those who are entrusted. entrusted. So, I want you to underline that word. It's a very important word. We'll come back to it later. Uh, th those of us who are entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So, so, Paul and Apollos are two of the church's spiritual leaders who have been entrusted with these mysteries. Now, when Paul uses the word mystery, not just in Corinthians, but in all of his writings, he's not talking about something that's hard to understand, like the Trinity or something, right? When Paul uses the word mystery, he's talking about something that was once hidden, but now has been revealed through the coming of Christ. And so he's talking about the gospel here. And so he says, so, so we're, we're servants of Jesus, but we're people that have been entrusted with a specific responsibility. In his case, uh, it's the responsibilities of sharing the gospel of Jesus accurately with, with people. He says, now, verse two, it's required that those who have been given a trust, so if you're a servant and you've been trusted with a specific assignment, that you must prove faithful. That's, that's kind of how servants are measured. Did you carry out the tasks that you were given? And he says, catch this, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Now, this is the first time in this letter that Paul kind of clearly and obviously lets us in on something, that there is a growing conflict between him and the church of Corinth. That we're, we're going to see this, it's going to build through 2 Corinthians, but but what we're seeing is at the, at the very beginning of this, that there's, there, there seems to be some in Corinth who are, are not only separating into different leadership camps, but they're beginning to question Paul's leadership as an apostle. And they say, well, why would they do that? Well, the reason is Paul didn't fit the mold of what they expected a, a philosophical leader in their culture to look like. We've already learned back in chapter two that when he came and shared the gospel that he said, I didn't come with eloquence, with like trained rhetoric, that they was such a high, uh, high uh, value in their culture. He said, I didn't come with wisdom, like kind of Greco-Roman uh, philosophy. And so, so he was already feeling a little different than, than they kind of expected. But on top of this, uh, Paul was not, uh, he was not wealthy. Um, he was often poorly dressed. Uh, he worked for his living. He, while he was in Corinth, he, he worked as a tent maker, uh, kind of a blue collar worker. Now in their culture, um, that uh, if you were a gifted philosopher, you, you, would, you would charge for your service because what you're offering is so valuable. Often, catch this, that you would, be, you would be financially supported by a wealthy patron who would actually support you, and then that person would get the glory of, that's my boy. You know, that, hey, that, that philosopher is my boy. So Paul chose not to do that for uh, multiple reasons that we'll see when we get to chapter 9. But because of this, it's kind of like, well, he, he doesn't even charge. No one even, like, what, what's it worth? You kind of get what you pay for type of thing. So there's that issue. And on top of that, uh, the Apostle Paul was always in trouble. I mean, he was always getting chased out of town. He was being beaten up. He was stoned, you know, the old-fashioned way. Uh, he, was, uh, he was thrown in prison. Um, he, like, he wasn't, he wasn't respected, you know, like, as, in culture as, like, this great cultural leader. And so for all these reasons, 
as, as the Corinthians kind of hold up what their cultural expectation, what a great leader representing the resurrected Jesus would look like, and what Paul looks like, kind of like a guy who's always in trouble, always getting beat up, poor guy, he just doesn't really seem to fit. And so because of this, there's going to be a growing sense of, hey, uh, should we really be following you? Uh, are you really an apostle? And so on. And so, but what, I want you to see how Paul responds to this in verse three. He says, I care very little if I'm judged, kind of critiqued by you or any human court. He said, indeed, I don't even judge myself. Um, my conscience is clear. In other words, uh, as far as I know, I'm, I'm being a good servant. I'm doing what Jesus has, has told me to do. But he says, that, that doesn't make me innocent. You know, often in our life, we, we think that, hey, if, if, we, if our conscience is clear, we must be doing the right thing. And not necessarily. You could be doing the wrong thing. You just don't know the right thing, right? And so it's what Paul says. And he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So the only one who really matters uh, in valuing my performance is not you. It's not even me. It's, it's the Lord. And he says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. That was when Jesus comes back. He says, wait until the Lord comes because he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He'll expose the motives of the heart. So you're evaluating all these leaders, who is the most spiritual, who's the wisest, who's the most pure motive, whatever. He says, but, but you need to just wait until Jesus comes back because uh, that's when the truth will really be revealed. And he says, at that time, then each, each of these leaders will receive their praise from God. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things, these leadership principles in the last couple chapters, chapter three and chapter four, to myself and Apollos, remember it's a case study, for your benefit. I'm like, it's not about me, it's like helping you to understand how you should look at leadership so that you can learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Now, interesting, we don't really know what Paul means here when he says that you understand the meaning of the saying. We don't know if, if what he's saying is, hey, I've been quoting lots of scripture the last three chapters, and, and so you shouldn't go beyond that. You should kind of stay within what, what the scripture teaches, how you should look at leadership. Or if there was, say, a saying going around Corinth at the time that was popular, and then he's just kind of referring to that. But what's super clear is that what Paul is saying is the way you're thinking of leadership, the way you're evaluating leaders, the way you're dividing up over leaders, that's completely wrong. And that's why I've been teaching you so you can learn not to go beyond what's written. He says, then if you do that, then you'll not be puffed up, kind of proud, uh, in being a follower of one of us against the other. In other words, if you, if you clearly understand how you should look at, at leadership, you will, you'll stop getting so proud about how smart you are and, and kind of dividing up into different camps. And of course, this is the core issue in the church of Corinth, this, this spiritual pride that is causing them to uh, divide, have so many conflicts, so many problems in their life in church. And next week, we'll come back and we'll look deeper at this core issue of pride. But for today, I want to stop here. And what I want to do is continue on. Remember that a couple weeks ago, I did a message from chapter 3 that was called Leadership 101. And today, as Paul's going to build on that teaching, uh, I want to highlight several more lessons that flow out of this passage. I'm calling it Leadership 201. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called uh, Christ Culture and the Cross Leadership 201. Now, there's four principles here. The first one's actually sort of a repeat of the first principle from last time, but I wanna start here just to set it up and make sure we're all on the same page as we go through this. So the first principle is simply this, is that leadership is for everyone. And what I mean by this is we, we talked about last time, some of us naturally think of ourselves as leaders. We're, we're in positions of leadership that are very obvious. You can see them on a flow chart, whether it's at, at church, whether it's in our career, in the community. Uh, some of you, for example, here at Rocky Peak, you're, you're a life group leader. You're a life group host, a clear position of leadership. Uh, some of you may have a leadership position in first impressions. You run a team there. Some of you may uh, lead in kids' ministry. Maybe you're one of the teachers on the, the weekend uh, for our kids. 
uh, or some other role. And so for some of you, you just right away, when we talk about leadership, you go, that, that's me. Maybe it's not here at church, but maybe at work. You lead a team. You lead a department. You own a company. Yep, that's me. I'm a, I'm a leader. Maybe it's that you lead uh, like a little league team or you lead some kind of service organization in the community or a nonprofit. And right away, you identify, yeah, leadership, that's, that's me. But as we learned last time is that often in life, many of the most important leadership roles are not the formal roles that you'd see on a company flowchart or a, a ministry flowchart, but they're just the, the roles of everyday life. So we talked about this, that like if you're a, a husband, you're called to be the spiritual leader of your wife. If you are uh, parents, you're called to be the, the primary spiritual leader of your children. Uh, maybe you're someone who's discipled people or you've mentored people in your life. Not a formal position, but something that you've done. It's a very important place of leadership. So what we saw last time is that most of us at some point in our life are going to find ourselves in a position of leadership. And so as we go through this, uh, as we go through these principles today, um, I, I want you to, to see it through that grid that whatever roles you play, and often we play many different leadership roles, right? You're, you're a father, you're a, a son, you're a, a husband, you're a, a business leader, and you lead a ministry at church. Whatever roles that you lead, that you'll be seeing, it, you'll be seeing these principles applying to those roles, all right? Number two. Now, now we're going to move into something new that we didn't talk about last time. Uh, at least not in this way. And it's, it's a, what Paul says is that leadership is a trust. So another, if you were here last time, we learned, as I mentioned earlier, that leaders are servants. In fact, the very first thing that Paul said in chapter 3 is that, hey, as you look at us as spiritual leaders, that you should look at us as servants. Remember, we're not celebrities. We don't, we're not like uh, your favorite philosopher that you kind of fight and divide over. No, I'm of Epicurean. Uh, no, I'm a Stoic or whatever. But we're, we're all in the same team. We're all on team Jesus here. We're all working for the same thing. So you, that you should not, you not look at us as like celebrities to follow that define your life. You should look at us as servants of Jesus. That's what he said last time. But but today he goes further and he says, as servants, whenever God puts us in a place of leadership, it's always a sacred trust. There's always an assignment. Now for Paul, the assignment had to do with sharing the gospel, the mysteries of God. But what we'll see is that when anytime we step into any leadership role, that there's an assignment from God that's inherent in that Role. So let's see what Paul says. This is the first thing he says today in chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. We've talked about that. And as those that are entrusted, this is what I had you underline, with the mysteries of God has revealed. Now, that's a, that translation in the New International Version is an excellent translation. Um, however, for our purposes, it'd be helpful if we had a more literal translation. And so I've put on there a translation from the English Standard Version, which is a little bit more literal translation. And this is how it, they translate it. This is how one should regard us, you know, as spiritual leaders, as servants of Christ, that's the same, and as what? What's the next word? Stewards. stewards. Okay, so I want to talk today about this word steward. This is a very important word in the New Testament. It's a very important concept and position in New Testament times. And so for us as modern day followers of Jesus to understand the New Testament, this is kind of worth us spending some time on talking about this word steward. And what I want to do is I want to actually do a little Greek work here, which I know some of you love and some of you hate, but if you hate it, it won't last very long. All right, so uh, for those of you who love it, uh, so I'm going to give you the word for steward. Right? But, but the way we're going to get at this is I'm going to actually give you two words because in the Greek, now, what happens is two words are put together to, meet, to, to create this new word. So here's the first word. The first word, is, and they're both brief, easy to write down. I encourage you to do that so you can spell it out and see it. The first word is the word oikos. And so it's spelled like this, O-I-K-O-S, oikos, O-I-K-O-S. And oikos means house, right? Just a simple word for house. My wife was reminding me, isn't that the name of that yogurt you eat? But anyway, yeah, it's a Greek yogurt, you know? 
Oikos. I don't know. It's a funny name for our yogurt. I said, like, I don't really get it. We have the house yogurt. Like, you have the garage yogurt. Like, I don't know. But anyway, the second word is the word namas. And the word namas is spelled N-O-M-O-S. Okay, so you have, and namas means law. Law. Uh, yeah, L-E-W. Yeah. L. A. <laughs> this sermon's going to take forever. <laughs> okay. That's great. Yeah, it's probably harder to, to catch it. Okay, so yeah, so we got, we got house and we got law, all right? So if you put those together, it becomes the law of the house, right? The one who rules the house, right? Um, and, and that's kind of what a manager does. So the way the word goes together in Greek, if you look at the first word, oikos, if you just drop the final S, like cross that out, and you put the words together, in Greek, the word becomes oikonamas, okay? And oikonamas, the one who kind of enforces the law of the house or rules the house. Now, in the Old Testament, we have a great example of, a, of a oikonamas. That it's not, he's not really called that, but it's what, what his role was that many of our, us will be familiar with, and it's the man Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Um, so you remember when Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers but to, to a very powerful Egyptian official named Potiphar, and, and I'm sure he came in at the bottom rank, right? But, but because of his faithfulness, he did such a great job, and because the Lord gave him favor, that he rose through the ranks, and so he became the, became the top servant. He became the oikonamas. And so you may remember when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, remember what he says? He said, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? Your, my master has put me over his entire estate, except for you. See, so that's like an oikonomist, someone who's been entrusted. He said, my master doesn't worry about anything. I just take care of everything. That's the position of an oikonomist. Now, this is actually a term that Jesus often uses to talk about our relationship as followers of Jesus. He, he will give short stories, what we call parables, to illustrate a principle. Um, and for example, one of, the, one of the short stories is basically saying, hey, think of it like this, I'm going away to my father, and it's like you're the oikonomos of your life. You manage your life. And when I come back, I'm gonna hold you accountable for how good a job you did. Right? So it's like a, it's a very powerful uh, metaphor that he often uses. So, so for example, in chapter 12 of Luke, Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise manager? Now in the Greek, it's oikonomos. Okay? Who's the faithful and the wise? He's, he's, but he does his job and he's really smart. He's wise how life works. He says, whom his master, remember like Potiphar over Joseph, like whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. And so he's picturing a scene where the master is going away on a long journey. He calls in one of his servants, makes him the oikonomos over the rest of the servants to oversee them, to supervise them, to make sure they're taken care of, things get done, they get, they're, they're fed properly, and so on. And so he says, uh, blessed is the servant, the oikonomos, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Like when the master comes back, you know, the oikonomos has done a great job running the other servants. He said, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So he'll get a promotion. Before the trip, he was just over the servants. Now he's gonna be over the whole estate like Joseph was. He says, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, like yeah, he's taking a long time, and he begins to beat the male and female servants, so he does a really poor job, and to eat and drink and get drunk, take all these resources and just use them on himself, then the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at the hour he doesn't know, and he'll cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful, right? So Jesus says, so sit up and pay attention. Yeah, his... What he's saying is, he's like, I'm, going, I'm like the master who's going on this long trip, and, and I'm putting you uh, in your life and all your resources and your gifts, like your life is your estate, and you're, you're, I'm going to come back, you're going to get rewarded um, or pay back for how you manage your life while I'm gone, okay? So, so this is the term 
that the Apostle Paul is using and it's the concept that he's referring to is very common in their day, but not so common in ours, of, of kind of what he's saying. So it's in this context that Paul says, there in your note sheet, again from the ESV, this is how one should regard us, spiritual leaders, as servants, right, not celebrities, and stewards or oikonomists of the mysteries of God. And so what I want you to catch is that whenever we step into a leadership role of whatever it is we're leading, formal, informal, church, career, family, community, that there is an assignment that goes with that. We're called to lead well, to lead as Jesus would call us to lead, and that we will be evaluated on that leadership. And this is what Paul says next, 1 Corinthians 4.2, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, like, like the servant Jesus talked about. And then if you look at the last passage there in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, so wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. He'll expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. All right? So in other words, that when Jesus comes back, that we will give a report on how we've stewarded our life, how we've stewarded uh, especially these leadership roles is what we're focusing on today. So, so if you're a parent, how have you led your children? Uh, if you're a husband, how have you led your wife and laid down your life for her so that she can be all that God has called her to be? You run a company. Have you led that company in a way Jesus is pleased, the way that you, you provide goods and services, the way you take care of your employees and so on? Um, you, uh, you, you lead a ministry. Um, will Jesus be pleased at the way you're leading? Are you leading like Jesus? Or are you leading like the culture? All right, so what I want you to catch is that anytime we're in a leadership role, this is part of what we're responsible for is these leadership roles in our life. All right, now, number three. Next, that leadership, according to Paul, leadership is for the audience of one. that what Paul is saying is whenever we step into a role of leadership, again, formal, informal, wherever it is, that we need to remember who do we ultimately report to. That ultimately, it doesn't matter who your boss is at work, right? Um, It it doesn't matter if you are the boss at work, um, that ultimately we all report for our leadership to Jesus himself. He's the one that's put us in that role. And, and so that we need to remember that and we need to remember who we're playing for, right? Who are we actually reporting to? And this is one of the keys to Paul's success as an amazing spiritual leader. He never forgot who he reports to. So catch this, whenever we step into a leadership role, there's always a temptation to play to the crowd. There's always a temptation to play to the team. There's always a temptation to seek the popularity of those that we lead rather than the one who put us in that role that we actually report to. And so what Paul says here, he says, uh, notice uh, the Corinthians are really beginning to critique him. Many are questioning his authority, questioning his leadership, questioning his competence, questioning his motives, right? And so there's a lot of criticism, but he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. That's not my priority. My priority is not to please you. My priority is not to lead in such a way that you Corinthians go, way to go, you're doing a great job. He said, that that would be nice if that happens, but that's not my priority because I don't report to you. I'm a servant. I've been given a trust. And what matters to me is what he says. In fact, what I even think about myself is sort of irrelevant. Because to the best of my ability, I'm following Jesus. I'm carrying out his orders. But he's the only one who's going to be able to bring to light the motives of a person's heart. And, And so that he will do that at the end of time. Um, And so my goal in life is not to please you. My ultimate goal is to please him. And this one is one of the secrets to his leadership. And can I tell you this? Whenever we step into leadership, you, you get promoted on the job. You're over a new department. There's always a temptation to play to the people you lead 
or even to play to the person that is supervising you, as opposed to playing to Jesus. Like, what does he want me to do in this situation? Let me get super practical. Some of you have children, right? And if you have children, if you have grandchildren, this is a leadership role that God has put you in. And as his leader, as, as God's leader in that situation, it's important to remember that you report to Jesus and your primary responsibility is to raise those kids for Jesus, Amen. right? And so we live in a culture where parents have often lost sight of this calling and many parents today are trying to be their child's best friend. Can I tell you something? Your child doesn't need you to be their best friend. They need you to be a parent, right? right? And so you need to stand back because there's many times as a parent when you can't say yes, you can't give the popular answer. You can't let them eat all of Halloween's candy the first night, right? You can't let them have their own way. You have to discipline. You have to hold them accountable. You have to, to shape their character. You have to challenge them. This is not easy, and they will not always appreciate it. But remember, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your child thinks of you. It matters what Jesus thinks of you. Did you lead your children well? Right now, hopefully, they will come to a place in their life where many of us did we say, thank you so much. I didn't appreciate it then, but I appreciate it now. Yeah. But Proverbs has so much to say that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. I want to say the rod of discipline drives it out. Right. And, and, so, and so as parents, it's so tempting to, to, especially if we're insecure in who we are, to look for our, our children's approval but can I tell you something? If you're dependent on your identity in life, on your children's approval, you will not be able to lead them well because you have to be able to stand up against that. Right? You have to be able to say, I love you enough to do what you will not like now so that you can become the person God's called you to be. Are you with me on this? Okay. Now, this applies. We could go on and on with application all day, but, but think of this. God puts you in a ministry role. And sometimes the people you lead will not always appreciate that. They will not always appreciate the direction that you're going. They may question your motives. They may question your character. They may question your courage. But your job, you step into, you're leading a first impressions team. You're leading a life group. You're leading a parachurch organization. Your, your priority is not to have everyone that reports to you happy. Your priority is to report to Jesus. Now, just super clear here. I want to be super clear that obviously that God often used criticism to shape us as leaders. And so, so sometimes people will have a criticism and we should always be open to that and always take it to the Lord. Is there something here, whether it's from our children, whether it's from uh, employees, whether it's in a ministry, we should always be open because we all have blind spots. And, and so there's going to be times when criticisms come that are a gift from this person. Like Proverbs talks a lot about the, the, how much uh, the wise person listens from a rebuke, right? So it's not, that, it's not at all that, hey, you're the leader, therefore you're always right. It's not about that. It's just this, as a leader, your job is to, the best you can, uh, find out what the right thing is to do, to seek what Jesus wants you to do, and do that. Your, your goal is not to, to win the approval, of everyone that reports to you, all right? So, so we have to learn to live for this audience, so what? Now, number four. The fourth principle goes like this, that leadership is costly. That often what we find is leadership is costly, that, that often when we aspire to lead a role of leadership, we think of it in terms of all the benefits the positive influence that we can have. And this is very appropriate. But it's often not until we get into a new role of leadership that we realize how costly it is to lead well. And it's at that point that we get tested. Will we be faithful to our trust or will we quit or compromise or take our ball and go home? 
Um, let, me, let me give you an example. You know, the last four years, Lynn and I have led a life group, it's a very large life group, of single adults from the age 25 to 35. So it's 2535. And it's been really one of the, the richest uh, kind of blessings of our life, ministry life. It's just fantastic people, uh, hungry to grow. We've seen God move in amazing ways. But, but because there's, uh, these are singles, and sometimes our group is very large. We've had, our group has been as large at 28 at one point. And so because of that, uh, we've seen many people married during the last four years. I can think of at least 15 people that have been in our groups that have been married during that time. And so, so there's a lot of weddings you go to and attend and things like that. And so it's interesting because um, that what, what happens when you're in a group, like you get sort of a front row seat on how marriages work, or how proposals work today, right? So back in the day, like in the 1800s, yeah, back in the, I mean, I, I never even proposed to my wife. She just told me I was going to be her husband. All right, that's how it worked. Yeah. All right. um, you sure you don't have something to tell me? Well, the only thing I can think of is God said that you're going to be my husband. All right, you know, here we go. So that's what happens. We have a wife with prophetic gifts. Anyway, uh, that's another story for another day. Uh, but... Uh, man, if, you, if you're close to anyone who's getting married today, chances are you're going to hear stories of an elaborate, elaborate proposal. Like this is going to be captured on social media, right? This is going to be, there's going to be family hiding in the bushes. There's going to be photographers with long-range telescopes. Um, it's going to be like, you know, the heaven opens up, the music starts, you know, uh, chariots of fire as he comes to da 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 da. You know, it's like, this is going to be amazing, right? And so I can pretty much tell you, though, that as that young man looks at this new position of leadership in his life, as he, he thinks about taking on that responsibility of being a spiritual leader for his wife and of leading a family, I can pretty much promise you that the kind of visions that are inspiring that beautiful proposal are things like, we're going to spend the rest of our life together. I can't believe for the amazing life of romance we're going to have. Like, uh, we're, we're going to have so many, we're going to be companions for life. I'll never have to go home again when the evening's over, right? There's just all these amazing visions of what, what it's going to be to step into that leadership role, to lead his wife, to lead his family. Chances are, <laughs> at that moment in time, he's not really going to be aware of the cost of leadership. He's not going to be aware of the many times he's going to be on his knees asking God to forgive him, uh, of asking God to give him the grace to lay down his life and serve his wife, to put her needs and interests above her, himself. The many times he's going to have to swallow his ego and go back and say, I'm sorry, can we work on this? The time when he may, he may have to say, okay, I don't want to do this, but yes, we'll go to counseling. The time when he, he's not really aware of the cost of leadership. Are you with me? And this is what happens. When we step into a leadership role, we're often aware of the benefits and we're aware of the amazing opportunity we have to influence, but we're not really aware of the cost. That doesn't come till later. I I think of someone stepping into one of the most important leadership roles that we have here at Rocky Peak, a life group leader role. And if you've been in that role, you, you probably know that kind of the wrestling you went through, the sense of God calling you to this, and you finally come in a place of, yes, Lord, and the excitement begins to build. And maybe, maybe you meet your host or your host couple, and you begin to pray together. And you're just excited because you've been in an amazing life group before, and you want to create that experience for someone else. And you want to create a safe place where people can truly be honest and grow together, a place where we can do life together and share and bear each other's burdens, and where we can... Uh, just be very honest and grow and be transformed and see God's work and power in our life. And so with, with great anticipation, you pray when those signups begin for those first people God will bring and you're so excited. And then all of a sudden, they show up. <laughs> and there are some people that were just like in your vision. And then there are some that 
weren't part of your vision, right? That they're, they're the couple that it's now a session and a half in, right? There's been 15 weeks of life group and they've been there three times. Is every time she can't come, he won't come. And every time he won't come, she doesn't come. And when they do come, they don't do the study. When you do the social, there's always something else that happens. And it's beginning to be a drain on the group, you know? This, we sign a covenant here. Like we commit as followers of Jesus, we're gonna come, we're gonna come prepared. We're gonna participate. And obviously there's times we can't you know, work or sickness or we're on vacation. Obviously we get that, but... But it's not like, uh, hey, the final episode of Survivor's on tonight. You know, no, we're committed to this, right? And so, and so it's, it's beginning to drag. As, you know how a group works is that the group begins to share at deeper and deeper levels. And when people aren't there, that was shared and they were gone. It just becomes a drag. And so you, you know as a leader, you need to talk with these people. And you need just to say, hey, you know, we would love to have you in the group, but... but uh, Groups really thrive on commitment. And if you're not able to make that commitment right now, that's fine, but maybe it'd be best for you just to wait until a season when you can. And now you have to have that conversation. And you hate that conversation. But you know as a leader, you have to have that conversation. You can't, well, this is taking the group down. You have someone in your group, you thought they were married, and you find out they're just living together. And that's fine if they're non-believers. Great, more the merrier. You know, let's, let's do Jesus together and see if you want to come to Jesus. But you know, when we come to Jesus, we come under the rule of his authority. Right. And now you're living together in sin and, and we have to have a conversation. Do you see yourself as believers? Yeah, we, we do. It's like, well, well, what's happening here? Because the word's really clear on that. And, and that's a hard conversation, isn't it? But, but Paul is so clear when we get to 1 Corinthians 5. If we allow sin to go on in the body of Christ unchecked, it spreads. It's like yeast spreading through the whole dough. Amen. And if we allow sexual immorality to go unchecked, it'll run through the whole church. And so we have to hold each other. So as a leader, you have to have that conversation. You, how many look forward to those kinds of conversations, right? Like this is not, right? So all of a sudden, the vision you had for leadership was so awesome. Now the cost of leadership has emerged. Are you with me? You could go on and on and on, whether it's starting a business, running a company, leading a team, that, that leadership often is expensive. It will cost you. And the temptation is to stop being faithful when the price goes up. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul was that he is such an amazing model of leadership. You know, today we started the day with a story about this man who is uh, sitting in his living room. He's just returned home from a long trip a trip that he took in order to smooth over differences, resolve some conflict, relieve some tension. It's just not gone well. Super painful for him. So now he's back home, kind of trying to think through his next moves, options. Not really an option logistically at this point to go back. It might make things worse. So he decides to write this letter. Then after he writes the letter, he's very honest, very hard to write. But then after he sends it, he kind of wishes he could get it back. This is a true story of the Apostle Paul. And it's a story that flows out of this relationship with the church of Corinth. And we don't have time to go into detail about that today, but, but basically what happened is after he wrote 1 Corinthians, the situation in Corinth continued to deteriorate. And so we learn in 2 Corinthians that he made an emergency visit from, from Asia, where he lived in Turkey on the coast, uh, across the Aegean Sea, big, big trip. He makes this emergency city, uh, visit, but when he goes it, goes, it goes sideways. They treat him like dirt. They, they have another leader that's apparently risen up leading the church that's kind of treat Paul like dirt. He's, he leaves humiliated. And now he's back at home in Ephesus trying to figure out his next move. So he finally decides to write this painful letter. Then he sends it. We're told in 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, that he was, he was full of regret after he did it. Like, oh, I should have done that. But what I want you to see is how Paul loved this church. That 
you know, I've often thought of this. If I were the Apostle Paul, I think I might have just written off the church of Corinth. I think I might have just said, hey, you know what? Thessalonica, that's going well. Philippi, that's going well. Hey, I've seen a lot of good fruit at Ephesus. This church at Corinth, they are, they are so proud and so arrogant and they're so into their culture. And I just, man, who needs them? But what we're gonna see in this letter as we go through is that's not Paul. He's just gonna keep on loving them. He's gonna keep on taking the high road. Don't, don't get me wrong, sometimes loving someone's tough love, sometimes it's tender love, and we'll see both in Paul. But, but Paul is just gonna continue to lead like Jesus. And can I tell you something? When, when you think of having kids, you think of all the beautiful first memories, the first Disneyland, but there's gonna come a day where for some of you it's gonna be very hard. That beautiful child's gonna turn into a defiant teenager. I mean, everything within you just wants to give them the boot. In Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> right? that when we step into leadership, often the cost is gonna go up. And the question is, will we be faithful to the trust even when the cost goes up? Amen. Now, these four principles lead to three important questions. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on these questions. They're fairly simple. But it's at this point of the message that I, I really have to depend even more than normal on the work of the Holy Spirit. Because uh, during a message like this, my hope, my prayer is that at some point the Holy Spirit, if there's something he wants to say to you, he begins like bringing it to mind. He begins bringing a relationship. He begins bringing an attitude. That's something I can't do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if we had more time, we could really dive, kind of delve down into these questions for a long time. We don't. And so I'm gonna ask them, uh, I'm gonna ask you to be open to the Holy Spirit. Is there something here that he's bringing to mind? And I'm also gonna ask you to take these questions before the Lord this week. And your personal, is there anything he wants to say to you? Maybe not, maybe so. So there in your note sheet, Leadership 201, three key questions. The first question is, are you faithful to your trust? We've seen today that leadership comes in many different forms. There's formal leadership, there's, there's uh, informal leadership, and for many of us, as I said earlier, we wear several different leadership hats. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you uh, are a leader on, in your career, uh, maybe you're a leader in the community, you, that often one person will have several different trusts that we're part of our, our estate, that we're the oikonomos of our life. We have several different spots, right? And so the question is, in any of these spots of leadership that you run, formal or informal, um, is there something where you're kind of dropping the ball, where the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you, you need to step it up in this area? Now, there may not be, but there may be. I know that there's one area of my leadership that uh, for the last several months I've been praying on just for wisdom and more direction. And it was just, it was just Friday when I was out hiking. I felt like I sort of turned a corner that, that, that something came to mind and I felt like I'm still kind of weighing it. But it felt like the Lord was saying, okay, it's time for you to kind of change your paradigm of how you look at this relationship and, and, then, and then take it up a notch once you change that paradigm. Right? So the question is for you, uh, like maybe you're doing a great job of, uh, of serving Jesus on your, in your career, but you're really neglecting leading your wife. Maybe you're doing a great job in your career, but you're doing a, not a great job, say, at the spiritual leadership you're providing at home for your children. Maybe you're doing a great job with your children, but you've really neglected your ministry, that, that you're in sort of a leadership role here, and uh, at church or some other parachurch organization, and for whatever reason, you're kind of mailing that in. You're kind of a coasting, right? And, and you're not really managing that part of your estate 
well. And so I don't know what it would be, but, the, but, the, but what we've seen is that what's required of a steward is that we're faithful. And so the first question is that, are you faithful to your trust? The second question is, are you playing for the audience of one? We've seen today that whenever we're in a role of leadership, there's one that we, we ultimately report to, and it's Jesus. It's not our kids. It's not the, our employees. It's not those on a ministry team. Um, it's not those um, uh, on, on the, the community service. So ultimately, uh, as leaders, we report to Jesus. So the question is, is it in your different leadership roles, um, is it... Is there any relationship, is there any role where you need to kind of recalibrate and say, you, want to, you know what, I've really been playing to the crowd. I've been, I've been living for the popularity of those I lead, for their approval, not really Jesus' approval. And it's caused me to compromise my leadership on what I really need to do. Can I tell you something that probably more than anything else, that living for the audience of one will give your leadership strength and consistency and integrity for those who follow. Like like if they know that, if they know, those who follow you, your children, if they know that you're being consistent, you're you're following Jesus and what he thinks, even if they don't agree, trust me, it's going to give them a sense of security. Right, because you're not, remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said, what did y'all go out to the wilderness to see? He said, did you go out to see a, a man that's like a reed blown by the wind? Just whatever wind of popularity blows, that that's what he speaks on? He said, no, you, you went out to see a man who was like an oak of righteousness, right? You went out to see someone that was, firm in their convictions and consistent in what he taught, no matter who was listening. He didn't play to the crowds. And so when we step into a role of leadership, there's always one question we need to ask. Now, there are different ways of asking this question. I'll give you a couple. But it's the same question at the core. And the question is, what is the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do? Another way of asking that is, Lord, what do you want me to do? But whenever we step it, and this is so important because often when we're, in step of, when we're in a position of leadership, this is not what we do. We ask the question, what's the right thing to do? And then we ask, what would be the consequences of doing the right thing? And consequences be damned. When we're in leadership, we ask the question, what's the right thing to do? And once we know that, we do that. And you let Jesus take care of the rest. And that gives your leadership strength. It gives it character. It gives it integrity. And it's safe for those to follow. Number three, the third question is, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? What we've seen today is that often we step into leadership we're visualizing the benefits, the influence, the positives. We often don't realize what it will cost in terms, maybe it's criticism. Maybe the cost is criticism. Maybe the cost is slander. Maybe the cost is misunderstanding. Maybe the cost is just, it's going to require much greater sacrifice than you anticipated. And at times like this, it's always a temptation to, to give up, to withdraw, to compromise in some way so we don't have to pay that cost. But one of the marks of spiritual leadership, when you're leading you know, your, your company or the church, one of the marks of a Christian leadership is that we're, we're willing to pay the price. And so is there any role of leadership in your life right now where the price has gone up but you know the assignment hasn't changed? That Jesus is still calling you there. And so... Are you willing to pay the price? And this is what, this is the leadership that Jesus modeled. Amen? This is like, he paid the ultimate price to serve us well, to take the high road. And this is the model, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is walking the path of Jesus. The way he relates to those he leads, 
He is laying down his life for them. He's, he's following the way of the cross, not the way of culture. He's not saying, what's in it for me? He's saying, what is in the best interest of these people God has called me to lead? And so the question for us is when we step into leadership, will we, will we, will we follow the way of culture? Hey, what's in it for me? Or we will follow the way of Christ and his cross. What's my assignment? And what's best for those I lead? Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. So Lord, we come before you as your church and we thank you for your leadership in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you did not forsake your assignment when the price went up. And Father, we thank you that, that your son did not play to the crowd, that this was like a hallmark of his leadership, that his, the driving passion of his life was to please you as his father, not anyone else. And that's what gave his leadership such strength. And so, Lord, we pray that in our lives, whatever the area of leadership we're in, whatever roles, that you would give us the grace, the wisdom, to understand that the trust that you've entrusted to us, that we'd be faithful stewards, that we would play to that audience of one and we'd be willing to pay the price as long as you've entrusted that task to us. Lord, as we sing this final song, a new song that, that speaks of Isaiah being in your presence when you asked, who will go for me? And he said, Lord, send me. And Lord, we just pray that as we sing this song, this be a time of recalibrating our leadership. That wherever you send us to lead for you, that we would say, send me. We pray this in your name. Amen.